Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone. Last week, Dan led us uh, into the wonderful letter from James, didn't he? And as he's just prayed, our aim in this series is to help each other to reduce the distance between what we say and what we do. Who we say we are and who our actions reveal us to be. That distance is what we can call the distance of hypocrisy. And we want to make that smaller and smaller. The distance between our stated life and our lived life. And we know that this is not a problem unique among the followers of Jesus because the daily news reminds us that hypocrisy is universal. We're reminded constantly of the very large distance between what people say about themselves and then what can be revealed about them if you look hard enough. In the lives of those interesting enough through politics or power or sport or entertainment or the arts, we find this difference and the difference shocks us. It repels us, it damages us and at times it leads us to doubt whether we can really trust those around about us. And we know that unfortunately the same thing happens when people see hypocrisy in the lives of Christians. As Dan noted, one of the three largest turnoffs for people considering faith is that far too often we Christians seem to be better at talking the talk than we are at walking the walk. And that's what we want to help each other with in these weeks, that all of us will draw nearer in walking the walk with Jesus. How wonderful if at the end of these seven weeks we can all be walking at least a little closer to the place we want to be with Jesus. And I'm not only talking about the positive effect out there as people see us walking a little closer with Jesus and the practical expressions of his love which will inevitably follow, which is so important for the sharing of our message. As Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans, among the ordinary ones out there, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's not only for that, that we think this is important. It's also for the people closest to us, our siblings, our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, our friends. What message, what real message does your and my lived life send to them about who Jesus is? Is your life an encouragement to faith and even an, and, and even an encouragement for the children who see you to aspire to in faith? Or is your life a hurdle for other people to overcome in their journey of faith? How important this is. If we desire for our families to know Jesus, we must show him to them by the way we walk in life, mustn't we? But I'm not only talking about those out there and those near us, I'm talking about the benefit for your soul. 
the joy in your heart, the peace in your spirit, and the lightness in your conscience that comes from closing that gap and living as God has truly made us to live. The good news we'll hear today is the Christian faith planted within us actually has the power to eliminate that difference, that distance. To even make it so small that whilst we may still see the issues in our lives, those around us will actually see lives that are authentically inspiring, loving and even godly, lives that point to God. And isn't that the desire for every one of us who follow Jesus? It is, isn't it? It is, isn't it? That's what we want. We pick up reading today in James chapter 1. We'll be going through from verse 19 if you've got your Bible there. And James begins like this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. My dear brothers and sisters... You know, James often gets a bit of a bad rap. He can seem harsh and direct, maybe aloof, focused on what we should do, on the good works that we should do. In some ways, James can almost seem not spiritual enough for us. Even, you might know famously, Martin Luther struggled with James. He famously called James a right strawy letter. Is is strawy a word? It means consisting of straw, a gospel of straw. And he said the college he was in should not use it anymore. And yet I think we do well to actually think about James, the person who wrote this letter, and to remember deeply two things. Firstly this, the complete, incredibly humbling change and transformation that's happened in the life of James in becoming a follower of Jesus. That means he speaks every word to us not from a position of religious superiority, but as he says here, as a brother speaking in love to us as dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's his position of speaking. And secondly, it does us well to deeply remember the deep and utter reliance on God at work within us that we will see this morning as the underlying bedrock of all that James says in this letter. James doesn't pull any punches, but every word is spoken as a real disciple of the Lord Jesus. Remember his description of himself in the first verse of his letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to real disciples of Jesus as brothers and sisters in humility and in love, wanting that the family of God would fully reveal the likeness of our brother and our Lord Jesus in this world of our brother, Jesus. You see, James knew about brothers and sisters. As Dan pointed out last week, the very best scholarship concludes that James is, in fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus. James and, and Jesus were two men who shared the same experience of life in growing up, the same mother, but, of course, a very different father. What a struggle it must have been for James to have a brother like Jesus. James was most likely the next-born son after Jesus in this pious and God-fearing carpenter's family, son of Mary and Joseph. We know that as adults, James and his brothers really struggled with Jesus, at this paradox of a brother Jesus who grew up to become a man who could do powerful things in the name of God, who could teach powerfully and draw great crowds, 
but didn't seem to really know how to use what he had to build something that could last. This Jesus of theirs was so clever, he could argue and answer the most accomplished men of law and religion, and yet he seemed to have problems facing reality, to have dreams above his station in life, to have strange ideas like loving your enemies and doing good to those who persecute you. To be even on the border of blasphemous in the way he talked, talking about bringing a kingdom of God with God as his father, whilst at the same time seeming to be failing in the basics of devotion to God as he taught his disciples. Why? His, Jesus' disciples didn't even wash their hands properly. You wouldn't get away with that these days, would you? <laughs> and they harvested grain to eat on the Sabbath. Jesus aided and welcomed and touched unclean and sinful people when everyone knew the importance of being holy for their holy God. He persistently healed people on the Sabbath when all the leaders of religion said they could wait for another day out of reverence for the Lord. We know that Jesus' brothers misunderstood his mission and queried whether he knew it all, what really matters to God. And we know that at times they even considered him crazy. There was a time recorded by Mark in chapter 3 when Mary and her sons went down to Capernaum to take charge of him because he was out of his mind. They would have felt justified in being angry with Jesus for the trouble he was causing. It was putting them all at risk of being expelled from the synagogue, thrown from the fellowship of God's people and being shunned by their community around them. James would have been justified in his own mind as well in turning his back on Jesus after the day recorded in Matthew 12 when Jesus was talking to the crowd and his mothers and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told Jesus they were there and Jesus says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Ouch. I think James would say to us today, if you think what I say is tough at times, try my brother Jesus. James would have heard about the stories Jesus told too. And what would he have made of them? We know many of Jesus' parables were aimed at the religious establishment. But what might James have felt personally when, for instance, Jesus told that story of the two sons? You know, the one where both were asked by their father to go and work for him? One says, oh, yes, 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 but he doesn't do it. The other says, no, but he does do it. It all seemed nonsense to James until the resurrection and the proof that all his brother Jesus had ever said was truth and James was forever transformed by the truth of who Jesus is and the power of Jesus' words. James went from one who judged his brother as crazy to the leader of the Jerusalem church and he died a martyr's death because he now knew with a certainty of everything in his life that what Jesus said and did was true. And he realised that it was he, James, who'd been saying, oh, yes, 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 to God as he went to synagogue and through the motions of religion. But he missed what God was really doing. He missed what God really wanted in his life. He missed what really mattered to God. 
when he began to follow Jesus, he finally understand that the words and the life of Je- through the words and the life of Jesus, that what God truly desires in us and for us is not a neat piety that can be part of a well-ordered but self-serving life, but something more profound and wonderful than James had ever thought. And so James says, my dear brothers and sisters, he's now with us, one of Jesus' true brothers and sisters, someone seeking to do the will of God. He says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. He'd learned that he needed to be quiet and still and listen to the words of Jesus. Belatedly, perhaps, James may feel about himself that he's come to understand that for us to correctly perceive what God desires for us, for us to comprehend what true holiness is and for us to understand what will lead to fullness of life, we have to listen to and absorb the words of Jesus in a way that actually changes us. How he must have looked back to those earlier days and wished he'd listened sooner. What about you and I today? Where do you stand? How well, how carefully are you listening and being changed by the actual challenging words of Jesus in your life? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. These verses about listening obviously speak to us at the purely human level, don't they? Be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Good communication. We all know, don't we, that God has given generally most of us how many ears and how many mouths? Interesting maths there, isn't there? Two ears and one mouth. Maybe listen twice as much as we speak. And James is going to to return to the mouth later in his his, uh, letter. But for today, the question is, are you quick to listen? I know with my wife, Alison, you wouldn't imagine we could ever have had an argument in 43 years of marriage, could you? It would never have happened. But I can tell you we've had some. And one of the things I've really learned about it that's really amazing is that I realise often when there's an argument, there was a difference we were talking about that I didn't understand. So often when we were arguing, we've been arguing, you know, I was right, but so was she. I just didn't understand her perspective. Be quick to listen. Listen long. Listen hard. Attune ourselves to listen to others, to actually hear them, be slow to speak, think first. You know, once you've spoken, you really can't easily take it back, can you? Be slow to become angry. It's almost always not the best response. It's almost always not the best response. We can see a type of living being formed here, a discipline of discipleship, that values listening over speaking, reflection over aggression, and peacemaking over anger. And that all tells us what God is like. 
James is saying here that the righteousness of God works out in our lives, in our conversations and in our relationships. John says elsewhere, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. Let us think deeply about what this means for us as followers of Jesus and above all else. Let's all stay quick to listen for the voice of Jesus. Then James simply says, get rid of all moral filth. What does that mean to you? We know that moral filth has always been around. I've been to Pompeii back in the days when you could travel and I'm sure you've seen on the TV, you know, they like to show you in Pompeii the filthy drawings on the, on the walls of the houses, you know, the sexual stuff and all that as people live degraded lives, immorality. But what does it mean to you when God says get rid of all moral filth? What do you know has a tendency in your life to degrade you and to degrade others? James implores us, get rid of it. Get it out of your life. And the evil that is so prevalent, he says, take it off like a filthy soiled garment. Put it aside. Get it out of the way. We actually can do that. Whatever it is that degrades you and others, get it out of your life. And humbly accept instead the word planted in you which can save you. Humbly accept the word planted in us which can save us. Here we see James' deep reliance on a supernatural work of God within. Get rid of all that rubbish and look instead to the deep supernatural work that God is doing within you. There is a word, you see, there is a word that God has planted in you that can save you. There is a word that God has planted in you that can save you. Can I describe that word to you? Which word would I use? Ransomed, forgiven, graced, saved, loved, adopted, reborn, overflowing, gifted, promised, treasured. So many words, but I can't narrow it down to any of those words because the word planted within us is nothing less than the living word, Jesus Christ, our saviour, the word of God's love and salvation to us planted within. By the grace of God, through the power of Christ and the sanctifying and transforming and mighty power of the Holy Spirit, the living word of God within us saves us and is saving us and leading to blessing in all of life. Anyone who says James isn't very spiritual should read that verse again. James says, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now when I read that, which can save you, I wondered, does that mean, well, it, it, it sort of can save you, it might save you? No. The word can here is not the can that means, well, that can happen. Maybe. No, it's the meaning of having the power to is fully able to humbly accept the word of Jesus planted in you with its power to save you. It's fully able to save, and not only for eternity, but that your life now might be saved from missing out on, 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 on who God has truly made you to be. To experience what it's like to truly live a wonderful, life-giving, godly life, with life flowing out of you to others. That's what it's about. What wonderful spiritual advice from James. Humbly accept the word, of, the new word of new life in Christ planted in you with all its saving power. 
But James continues to explain more what accepting this word means. You see, hearing is not enough. Hearing is not enough. It's a very sad thing that you can sit in church all your life and hear the word and never accept the word in a life-changing and saving way. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in all they do. James gives us this amusing picture here, doesn't he, of someone looking in a mirror, but then he goes away. Sorry, when I get a bit emotional, I have to get rid of it all. James gives us this amusing picture here, doesn't he, of someone looking in a mirror, but then going away and can't even remember his own face. There are two things you can see when you look into a mirror, I reckon. The first might be something that needs correction. You know, you look in the mirror and you realise you've just blown your nose and you've left something on your face. <laughs> or there's some spinach there that everyone's been looking at all through lunchtime. And we can see James saying, listening to the word of God, but not living it out, not making the corrections in life to line up with the word of God is as unproductive and useless and awful as a man looking in the mirror and seeing something gross on his face that needs correction and seeing it and then walking away and just leaving it there. I could give you a thousand examples, but here's one. A husband who reads, love your wife as Christ loved the church, and gave himself for her, but who goes home and abuses his wife in some way or fails to love her, cannot expect the blessing of God, but actually only the disappointment and the discipline of God or worse. The word of God is the mirror in which we truly see ourselves and one purpose of the seeing is to make the changes that we see we need to in life. And if we don't make those changes, we can't actually say we're accepting the word of life. The second thing, though, about looking into a mirror is that when we look into a mirror, we see ourselves as we really are in Christ. This is a wonderful mirror. It's interesting, isn't it, that one of the main parts of yourself you can't see at all without a mirror is your own face. Have you ever thought about that? One of the main parts of yourself that you can't see without a mirror is your own face. I can, I can see the edge of my nose, but I can't see my own face. We all need a mirror to really see ourselves. Our spiritual mirror is the word of God. And as followers of Jesus, when we look intently into that mirror, as we gaze into that mirror, we see who we are wonderfully made to be. By God's grace, a brother or sister of Jesus. A loved child of God by the grace of God. One of his loved people. Free and forgiven. And the longer we look and frame our lives on the beautiful and loved and valued view of ourselves and others that the word of God gives us, the more we accept this good word planted in us, the more we are changed into his likeness and know the blessing of God in our lives. From the blessing of looking comes blessing that flows through all of our lives. How crazy would anyone be to look into that mirror that shows our freedom in Christ and walk away and live as though we're in bondage 
to sin and evil. James says that would be as crazy as a man who every time he comes to a mirror, he looks into it and he says, who's that? James gives us a promise. He says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. Who wants that? Let's take that home with us today. Allow the words of Jesus to cleanse and to shape your life and live in his blessing. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, just when we're getting to the end and James being James, last week Dan told us that James was a bit of a gut punch for serious followers of Jesus. James brings it home with this, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Here are two of James' wonderfully challenging verses. Just to clarify, the word religion here doesn't mean faith. It means the outward expression of religious worship. Our outward expressions of religious worship include what we're doing here today. And it's wonderful to worship, to join together, to be in community. And maybe we go home some weeks and we say, well, that was a great sermon. And other weeks we say, what was he talking about today? Or you might say, I like this, but I didn't like that expression of our worship today. But James tells us, the outward expression of religious devotion God cares about is this that we individually move away purposefully from all that we personally know pollutes our conversations and our lives and that we express love in practical and real ways to people who need it. If our services and our ministries and our religious practices are flowing out of us as a community of people in whom the word of God is living and active, where widows and orphans, people in need are cared for, where real support for others is given freely and widely, where generosity and inclusion marks us, where new people are welcomed and love is shared, where our desire is for clean hearts, even more than clean hands, and where faith is real, then God is thrilled. He's thrilled to be here, and we're under his blessing. But if our religious practices are all talk, and no actions, no actions of compassion and care in particular. If love has dried and division and selfishness flourished, then God isn't impressed no matter how good it looks. He's grieved and he says, these are not my people. They're kidding themselves. This is not what my son died for. I guess if I was trying to summarise it, God's first question of all our religious expressions might not be what we, we would expect. It might just be, who did you care about and help today in my name? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful, amazing word that wants to reach deeply into every heart because you want us, Lord, to live full lives. 
lives of full meaning, full love. And that can't happen until we're loving as much as we're loved. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've led the way. Thank you, Father, for planting the word of Christ within. Thank you, Spirit, that you lift us to be more than we could ever be through Jesus. I pray for all of us, brothers and sisters here today, that we will, through this series, continue just to walk that little bit closer with Jesus. Open our eyes, Lord, to what you are doing around us and open our hearts, Lord, that we'd share your love and care and compassion and bring joy to your heart and blessing to our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.